Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast Twitch channel. My name is Michael and we're here tonight for another episode of Detention Live. Joining me as always is my co-host Chris. Chris, say hello to everyone. Hello everyone. And then joining us tonight as a special guest is also Chris. Uh, maybe C2K, Chris Squared, Christopher, what do you want to go by? I like C2K, actually. It seems like kind of fun. <laughs> okay. So, C2K, uh, yes. say hi to everybody. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello. Uh, my name is, well, Chris Constantine, hence the two Cs. I've been a gamer for quite a few years, probably more than I'd like to admit. Uh, I've tinkered with darn well every system over time, and... I'm probably known for two things, uh, creating the Hodgepocalypse, my post, my post-apocalyptic fantasy RPG, and also I've been doing on Twitter and Macedon uh, TTRPG prompts where I post a silly picture and see how people respond. Yeah, so. you actually started doing that in our Discord for us as well. We've had a couple really fun ones the last couple of days, so thank you for doing that. Pleasure's nice. all mine. All right, well, we're happy to have you with us tonight. Uh, so anybody who might be watching new, we do the show basically every other week, Wednesday evenings around 9 p.m. Eastern. It's kind of a loose format talk show. We're going to talk about role-playing games, but we also talk about pulp culture, just other things going on. Uh, we have a few segments. We do some silly improv games. We like for it to be fun. If you stick away, stick around all the way to the end, we do have an audience Q&A portion where you can ask some questions of any or all of us. And I'm going to try to monitor chat. So if you are hanging out with us and at any time want to jump in, please do. I did not change the, the, the show thing again. So it probably sent out we were playing Warcraft. So there's a good, I have a few people jumping in going, this doesn't look like Warcraft. Nah, just right. the theme. I think I, exactly. I, I, think I changed it. It's oh, title, so detention, go live notification. Oh, see, I'm glad, glad someone around here is paying attention because it's not me. Of course, I'll forget to change it tomorrow when I'm playing Warcraft and it'll say attention. Uh, but we're going to start the show as we always do, and that is with extracurricular. And this is just a short segment where each of us takes a few moments to talk about what we've been up to recently. And these can be books we're reading, shows, movies we're watching, um, games we're playing, Kickstarters we're about to launch, you know, the usual. Um, so old Christopher, the original, <laughs> I don't say old Christopher, original Christopher. Original recipe. Original, yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, you could be the OC. What you been up to, buddy? Actually, a lot in the last couple of weeks. First, uh, super thrilled. My first wave of Marvel Zombies came on, came in. Uh, I got to play that uh, in true Zombicide fashion. Uh, didn't do so well. Okay. The draws were not nice to us and ran out of miniatures, but we figured yeah. out how to play it. And well, that's a good first step. It plays really well. They don't have items. You get skills that are kind of one-use things, so that went really well. We had to figure out, since we're playing as zombies now, you have to manage your hunger. So you mm. have to devour the, the other characters on a regular basis. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Besides that, let's see. Decided with my new computer I would play around on some Steam games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever been more infuriated and embarrassed <laughs> at the same time uh, until I played the game called PUBG. PUBG. Yeah, it's a first-person shooter, or as I like to call, can Chris survive more than three minutes? I don't. Well, I don't have a goal of no comment. Well, the wife would say yes, um, but when I play it, I don't have the goal of like actually beating anybody. It's can I hide and not get shot and find equipment to then shoot at people? Because mm -hmm. I haven't figured it out. But I got frustrated with that, so I got rid of that and just put Destiny Two on. Again, free games that are 10 years old don't bother me because they are new to me. Sure, yeah. And somebody who grew up with, you know, originally an Atari, 10-year-old graphics are phenomenal to me. I found out in Destiny 2 when you walk, if there's a light behind your character, it throws a shadow in front of you. I have not missed hitting one of those shadows every time they pop out. I shoot my shadow more than anything else. <laughs> but, it had it coming. Yeah. I, exactly. That'll I, show them. I've been having a lot of fun with it. I like it because I could just go play and not have to get frustrated because somebody else knows the map really well and right, knows yeah. where to hide. It's me versus the game. So it's, it's been fun. I have been watching The Bad Batch. It's nice. been pretty good. I, I like the first season. I really like the second so far. Uh, it's been everything I like to see about it. A little oddball, a little more uh, lore in there for that, that time frame. Uh, also... 
watch the first three episodes of, if I say it wrong, I apologize, Vox Machina or Machina. Okay. Uh, I really like the first season and the first three episodes have gotten pretty dark pretty quick. Mm. Um, this is definitely not uh, the season of where the heroes and winning. This is the where the heroes and leaving. <laughs> yep. So it's been fun. Uh, I know you said you haven't seen it, but I think you'd yeah. like it. Uh, it's to me what I, you know. I've said it before. What the D and D movie should be, which no. we don't know if that's ever going to happen now. Right. Well, it's, it's coming. It's just is it, anybody going to watch it? And is it going to be any good? I'm going to watch it. I'll tell you. I, I know yeah. there's a lot of the hubbub with D and D. I'm not happy about it either. It sounds like some really wrong thinking, like trying to maximize profits. Like I just corporate greed, but I'm still going to watch the movie because I want there to be a D&D movie and I want there to be more D&D movies and I just want to watch it. So my apologies if that offends anybody. Like I'm not, again, I'm not pro what's happening, but I'm still going to go watch that movie. My thing with that is I don't a hundred percent understand what's happening. I know they're the OGL thing, but you can read five different articles and get five different descriptions of it. You know, Maybe we should find somebody who's an expert that can sit down and explain it to me. Yeah, maybe I did that with um, the Kickstarter thing when they decided to go blockchain. I got Jay Dragon on, and, mm-hmm. and they were able to help make that sense of that. And yeah. I, again, I, at this point, I'm, I'm kind of in a wait and see sort of mm-hmm. situation, but I don't want to focus on that. So, anything yeah, else sure. before I move on to C squared? Uh, only other thing is, I'm getting ready for our uh, the scout troop that I'm the scout master of is doing their uh fourth annual game day oh fun so it's a fundraiser it's basically pay five bucks get in play games all day buy some food donate some money watch a bunch of kids try to run games which can be Mm. as i tell everybody that walks in if a kid's running the game just smile and have fun with it yep it's going to be a quirky game you might fight a dragon riding a goblin who knows you know, it's not going to be Actually, your normal game. Actually, that's not so. a bad idea. We're yeah. That nice. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, other than that, just work. What's going on in uh, your guys' world? All right, so C-squared, what you got? Well, it's funny you should mention that. Uh, I have been prepping for about a couple of years now to get ready for a crowdsourcing campaign, and then all hell broke loose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. So... I did some stewing, did some thinking, and I think I just want to get these books out in their current state no matter what. So I'm currently prepping them to be released on drive through RPG in order to get them out before they change the OGL. Kind of uh-huh. the idea that they have a grand foot their claws if something goes wrong or goes sideways. If I haven't made a decision one way or the other, but I'm thinking I want, I spent a lot of time. I'd like them to see people to see them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where it stands in there. As for uh, TV, I'm kind of in a weird situation here. Uh, About six months ago, I watched She-Hulk. I liked it. Mm -hmm. But I kept saying, I wish it was more like Night Court. And then Night Court came back. (laughs) So now I'm kind of morbidly, curiously watching it. I've seen the first two episodes, and obviously the third one kind of drops later tonight. I want to watch it and then kind of cross compare the two, if that makes any sense. I loved Night Court. When I was a kid, that was absolutely one of the shows that I watched with my mom. Like we, every, I think it came on at night, John Larroquette, um, what was the guy's name? Harry Harry Anderson. Harry Anderson, yeah, his characters. I loved Night Court. Mm -hmm. I was too young to get all the dirty John Larroquette, Mm -hmm. Dan Fielding jokes, but so I don't know if I'm going to check this new one out because I'm a little bit worried that it'll taint my childhood, but uh, I'm a huge fan of the OG for sure. I understand. But again, Harry Anderson was a World of Darkness wizard that just didn't give a damn. Because <laughs> yeah. some of the stuff he pulled off in the original series, like where else can you have a trial where you have the Roadrunner and Coyote show up in court? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So, oh, yeah. And that's just from memory. Who knows? Uh, yeah, let me know on Discord what, what you think after you watched a few more. Like, is it... Yeah. Is it something that matters if you've seen the old one? Is it good either way? Like yeah. your thoughts and opinions? Yeah. Well, again, it's too early to tell. I'm just sure, more yeah. morbidly curious at this point. Uh, other than that, uh, I concur with Bad Batch. I'm enjoying it a lot. I think 
D. Bradley is doing a fantastic job essentially doing multiple personality disorder with the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm curious to see where it leads. Omega bugged me when she first showed up, but I'm actually starting to enjoy her now, and I kind of want her to see the adult version hang out with Tamara Morrison to some degree. Mm -hmm. Okay. See, that's that's how I felt about, you know, Grogu, Baby Yoda. When he came on in the Mando, I was like, okay, here we go again. And he grew on me, so... Mm -hmm. He grogooed on you. Oh, exactly. You're such a dad. <laughs> yeah. But that's Again. coming out soon. Season three of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm there with bells on for that. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I like my space western. Oh, yeah. So. Obviously, me too. Oh, I forgot to mention that. Sorry. I'm going to jump back to me for a moment. Oh, sure. Go right ahead. Uh, Monday, we actually recorded our... Uh, last episode of the redemption podcast so that wrapped up after eight years so, well done no longer part of the longest running star wars podcast but soon you're gonna hear a, a new streaming show that kind of continues that story so we're not done we're just kind of rebranding and moving it over a streaming platform so nice it's exciting. I mean, it really is. Like as someone who chronically can't finish a campaign and has had more of them die on the vine than a tomato plant in Nevada. Uh, it's exciting. You should be very proud of yourself. And again, I, I say a lot, but the show that you put together is amazing. It's such a good show. You have done an amazing job leading that crew. They have done an amazing job of like, you know, running in tangents and mm -hmm. it's just a really well done show. And Kaylee, she is a professional editor. Like I, I would put her editing against anybody's in the business and it's, you should be very proud of that. And I'm excited to see how things change and evolve and, and move for you guys forward. Yeah, me too. Me too. But uh, what's been going on in uh, your neck of the woods? Yep. So I went on vacation. Nice. Uh, that was kind of my Christmas gift from the wife. I, I sort of knew it was coming, so it wasn't a surprise, but, a, but technically it was my Christmas gift. So we took a couple's cruise. It was our first time on a true vacation without the kids since we've had the kids now we've done mm -hmm. weekends away we've been like one night away i you know i go to gen con i go to conventions but it's the first time that her and i together have gone for more than a couple of days and left the kids at home we left them with uh, her mother and we we did a carnival cruise we went to uh, the grand turks and then we went to the dominican republic it was a four-night, five-day cruise, but that last day you basically get kicked off the boat as soon as you wake up, so it doesn't really count. I had a ton of fun. Absolutely was a great, like, like we usually we go on vacations. I, I'm a curmudgeon. Like, I don't like doing a lot of the interactive stuff. Like, I like the food. I like mm -hmm. to sleep. I, you know, I like to lay out and listen to an audio book, but I'm not super social in those cases because no one wants to play D&D. So usually when we go on cruises, like, we go with her extended family or you know, mother and sister, and they go do things like at night, they'll go to the comedy show and I'll just watch the kids and watch TV or work on something, whatever. So I kind of was under the obligation that I had to be that person for her. So it was a little bit of a stretch for me and we compromised both ways, but you know, we, mm -hmm. we went to dinner together. We went to a couple of the shows and again, I had a, had a nice romantic sort of getaway with my wife. I'm not going to complain about that for a second. TV wise, I'm still in the middle of my arrow attempt at doing an arrow watch I've, I've tried a couple times before and i've always fallen off around season three because frankly i think it gets kind of bad i'm currently in the middle of season three but i'm still pushing through didn't get to see a whole lot on on the boat unfortunately we didn't have internet there i'm still doing the smallville podcast so i'm still watching tons of smallville i got a wild hair and last night i watched the pilot episode of the greatest american hero Believe wow it or not. I mean, that was, it came out in 1981. I was six years old. I still have very fond memories of that, of that show, but that now means it's 40 years old and mm. some of those effects and just some of the mm. characterizations, whew, a little mm. rough, mm. but we'll era. see, but you know, enjoyable, but big thing for me is last of us mm. never played the game, but I know through osmosis, a lot about what it's about. Um, I love Pedro Pascal. I love Pedro Pascal with a hanger-on childlike figure. I mean, it's again, right? And the first two episodes were very well done. My wife loves zombie shows. That's one of her few genre stuff that she gets into. 
Uh, so we've watched it together and she's really enjoying it as well. So it's, it's a you know thing we get to do. It's another Sunday night, you know, um, uh, appointment television type of thing. So I'm really, really enjoying that. And then I'll say, well, quickly, I started the revival book, Stephen King, not his newest, but one of his newest. Very good. Mm-hmm. And Kickstarter for Action 12 Cinema. We're like 31 days away. I'm actually close enough now that I can put the actual dates in the Kickstarter. It's it's close enough that it will let me put in the beginning and end dates and not say, hey, it's too far away. You can't do that. Uh, so it's getting real, getting nice. really, really real. And I'm very excited about it. Nice. There's, All right. There is a cruise ship. I'd have to find it again. That is for uh, us, so to speak. They do board games, role playing. They do dinner. They have shows, comedy shows. But the main focus is there's a big room full of games. Yeah, it's yeah, kind it's of fun. like a a gamer event, like it's a con on the boat. Um, I think it goes out of Seattle. I think it's on the wow. west coast. I don't remember. Um, I think some of our old, I mean, they're not old, but they they were patrons for ours years years ago. Uh, was a group. Um, in there i think they had gone on it before hey fox blade hey thanks for hanging out thank you for resubscribing i really appreciate it so maybe someday we could do that maybe a catacon on the seas like mm. what is our what is the ocean anniversary or something i don't know what if we created a con off sea we kept it off sea all the time and we recruited people randomly and then they had them level up to get to the cruise ship do you think we could make something like that work uh, I think that's not like a pyramid scheme. So I'm all for it. All right. As long as we don't yeah. get caught. All right. Well, so with that, we're going to move on. We're going to move into our first improv game. And this is called 10 Things. And we're going to take turns prompting one another in turn to try to create a list that matches the prompt. Uh, the idea of this game here is immediacy is more important than accuracy. So coming up with a list quickly is better in terms of the game than taking a long time to come up with 10 things that actually make a lot of sense. Uh, C squared, you are the guest tonight. So would you like to go first in terms of prompting OC or myself, or would you like to go first as having one of us prompt you? Tell you what, I will blindly go in. Excellent. So again, I will do this. Um, (laughs) So you um, are working on a game book. And as someone who's struggled with names in the past and comes up with names, I always like to ask people who are working on projects, what are 10 other names that you might have used for your game book that you're working on. And it's called Hodgepocalypse, correct? That's what the name is. That's correct. Okay, so give me ten alternate titles for that book. Dark Revelations, the role-playing game was the original title. Okay. Uh, what was that one more time? I didn't hear Dark you. Revelations, the role-playing game. One. Then Rifts Done Right would be another. <laughs> Two. Two. Uh Fallout. If at Ad Magic, uh Three. Then, hey, hot rods and fancy cars. Four. Four. And, uh, hey, look, the most magical place in the world is a Pasanka. Five. Number six. Uh, Well, when the demon, what is it? Hellraiser meets the national dream. Six. Six. Uh, Yes, in Texas, there are witches. Seven. 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 Okay. Well, funny you should mention that. There are people who fought undead bikers that wander around annoying people. Eight. Eight. Uh, Phelan, FNN News, for all the news all the time. Nine. And there's a big mall. It's run, one of those sections is run by a dragon. Just saying. Ten. That's in fact a list of ten things. I, the, the song All My Hexes Live in Texas jumped into my head at one point. All yes. right. So... Um, since I started the chain here, so C squared, you will prompt OC for his list. Sure. Let's go for something fun and classical. Okay. You have a TARDIS. It's chameleon circuit broke. What does it look like? Ten things they could turn into. Oh, uh, an egg. One. Egg. Uh, a basculus. Two. A uh, uh, pocket knife. Three. Uh, a handkerchief. Four. Ooh, another new pair of eyeglasses. Five. A uh, chocolate bar. Six. Uh, pizza. Seven. Uh, endless supply of uh, drinks. Eight. Uh, 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 one left shoe. Nine. And we'll go with uh, my favorite role-playing book. At ten. the time. Whatever Yay. that is at the time. That is, in fact, a list of ten things. A lot of food on that one. Are you, are you, are you mm. malnourished? Do you need to have dinner? 
No, uh, we're trying to eat healthier. Oh, which sorry, in turn means I eat less. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, and those are intertwined. Yeah, yeah. Temporal food. Yeah, all sense. right. It's that whole you're getting older, eat less thing. It sucks, yeah. but all right. Uh, let's go let's see here, Michael. Uh, so you just got back from a, a cruise. Uh, mm. Ten uh, things you did not expect to see on a buffet. Uh, crab arms. One. <laughs> um, shrimp cocktail dresses. Two. Um, mango flavored pineapple. Three. Um, the waitstaff. Four. Cockroaches. Five. Um, ice cream pizza. Six. That'd be unusual. Raw hamburger. Seven. Um, raw eggs. Eight. Uncooked spaghetti. Nine. Fish. Ten. That is, in fact, a list of 10 things. All right. So we're going to move into used books. This is usually kind of the larger meat and potato section of the show. And in this part, we're going to have Chris Squared talk a little bit about a campaign that he either ran or played in. Talk a little bit about the themes of the game or maybe a particular moment, something that went really well that we, you know, will can carry some lessons learned to future games to help us be better game masters. Maybe something that we tried to do that didn't work great and we either learn from it, evolved or try to avoid. So take it away, Chris squared, tell us a little bit about a campaign, your role and just whatever else about it you want us to want to share. Well, I'm going to be going through a certain filter. I will call this little mound or the power of friendship. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the Hodgepocalypse is my post-apocalyptic fantasy world burst on a future earth. And I love running it for the, potential party members it is a world where magic and tech intermingle and many many species now inhabit our own but we all got to start somewhere most small adventures start in a starting village homlet salt marsh water just to name a few for me it was bruce alberta we had a party consisting of ash a gnome witch complete with cat coming home with a ton of baggage two gun sally the fiercest gunslinger you can make at first level and Knives, an elf prowler who has a fascination for fuzzy things. He claimed he was named after his bowie knife. I doubt that. <laughs> so, I created this village to start my location where I had two different factions playing a Medusa cattle baron and the Boreal Buccaneers, who are a bunch of prairie bandits that cosplay as pirates. If you're from Edmonton, you'll know what I'm talking about. So, I like people to have in my games to have justifications of why they are like, I don't believe in pure good and pure evil for the most part. So I give everybody justifications. So I was hoping that the party would pick one side and fight the other. Instead, they decided to play peacekeeper between the two groups. And not only did they succeed, but they managed to make friends with a random NPC encounter that I strangely rolled twice. A fairy Viking from nearby Viking, Alberta. Hmm. They named him Bjorn and insisted on carrying, taking over the character sheet. So I guess I learned that PCs are like cats. They'll do what they want as a GM. All you can do is roll with the punches. And basically what I learned is when you're game testing, sometimes you got to throw away the very module you're testing in order to have a good game. All right. Fair enough. Often. And for what it's worth, they did manage to get into an epic slobber knocker with industrial undead while one drove a bobcat as a lethal weapon. But that's a story for another time. (laughs) So the general setup that you went into is that there are two opposing factions and uh, your PCs kind of come into this. There's a pretty famous movie. Uh, I think there's like a samurai film. And there's also like Bruce Willis, like last man standing or something similar, like basically lone gunman comes into a town and then both sides try to play him off of each other type of a thing, but they didn't do what you expected them to do. um, And they approached this, in a completely different way where instead of fighting one or the other, they try to make peace. Um, so I can see how that would be not frustrating, but as a DM, very unexpected. Like you, you probably thought, well, they might approach, you know, multiple ways. I'll roll with the punches, but they kind of probably, I think they went for the one that maybe you expected the least, which is the pacifist sort of Avenue. Oh, absolutely. Like they managed to, the Boreal Buccaneers were set up in a trail yard. Because instead of invading a train, they actually use the train to invade and they launch gliders from it okay. in order to invade a town, plunder, and then come back to their own thing, which is kind of limited. They managed to get there. They managed to drive the train down towards the ranch because it's right next door. They had a standoff. 
And I said, okay, something I like to do is skill challenges. I basically have my own system, you know. For... I love skill challenges. Not so, the way 4th did them, but the way I do them. Yeah. So basically the crew, I gave them a chance. I gave them a fairly high DC, and I let them talk it out and then roll to see what the response was. And if they did a really good job, you know, you give them a bonus here and there. But generally speaking, they had to blow their inspiration. Uh, they critted it. They critted it out of the park. I didn't even have any wiggle room. It was like, holy crap. If I do anything now, I look like a jerk. So they not only managed that, but apparently the head Boreal Buccaneer and the Medusa Cattle Baron now have a relationship. That's how good they did. Well, I guess it, I guess they hit their goals. Yes. And so, they like, happily a, ever after. A couple of things that come to my mind is just like, you know, avenues to talk about here. And one is... Um, Abiding by the dice. Yes. And I know this is can be a highly charged discussion on fudging or not fudging, that type of thing. And I'm on the record pro-fudging, but I like to think I'm very good at it. No one's ever going to know what I do, and I don't do it nearly as much as it seems as much as I talk about it. But you mentioned that, like, when you roll, they did so well that you really couldn't go against – you didn't even have wiggle room to – like try to throw additional complications. They absolutely crushed it. And I do think that is like, usually the other side of the argument for not fudging is that if you let the dice help you tell the story, it will tell a story that you didn't expect. And that could end up being better than you planned. I completely agree with that. But I also think that if you always follow the dice, then why do we need a DM? Let's just get a computer program to do it. So again, that's another thing. So not that situation, but in general, do you think that, it is okay for the DM to build in, not fudging, because I don't want to get into that topic, but wiggle room that even if they succeed, you can add a complication. Um, I, I don't know if I asked a good question, but thoughts? Well, for this situation here, what I did is, okay, you guys are playing nice, great. Uh, one of the things that was kind of an ongoing throughput was the industrial undead was actually waking up from the burial mound out in the back 40. And what I did is, okay, if this part's resolved, fine. Wakey, wakey. And kind of press the big red button to get things started so that there was okay. still a contention to happen there. And that's kind of how it changed the nature of the thing. But ultimately, you're right. you got to be used to any situation or any you know location when it comes to stuff like this. Like, one of my favorite games of all time is, of course, Fallout New Vegas. And it's designed in such a way that Anything can happen, but within the course limitations of the computer program. And you can end up with some really strange encounters if you do things certain ways over other things. But in order to build something like that with such versatility in a video game, you basically have to build all contingencies based on different situations, scenarios. And mm -hmm. the great strength of a GM is to go, you did something completely different. I will throw this out, but I will change it. <laughs> and basically modify things accordingly so you pull this knob you pull this lever you pull this thingy and hopefully you roll well enough with the punches to create an ultimate situation here like when i was running this game uh we were using roll 20 in order to get things together and i'll be blunt i know roll 20 is supposed to be balanced by the desk but every so often you start wondering if the rnd is against you <laughs> and we, we've had games where nobody, and that includes the GM, rolled above a 5 on a D20. Huh. Weird. And it just, sometimes you wonder, well, you're, you're pretty sure the numbers are correct. You know, I'm not going to complain too much about the random number generator. It just feels like, what's the old saying goes, R&D Jesus doesn't actually favor you. Huh. And I guess if I used a more stealth-based solution, it would be easier to push things and nudge things in certain ways in protocols. Or maybe use the whisper thing in order to make sure that some of the dice are hidden. Mm -hmm. So I can see the argument for both sides, but ultimately, right. uh, any if you decide to decide anything like that, unfortunately, that's what session zeros are for. Mm -hmm. Because no, you know, you know, if you're playing everything, you know, square by the roll, the dice roll where they may, and suddenly you start hiding things, people get grumpy, right? And I've seen other things around where you're coddling, you're coddling, coddling, and suddenly just let let it loose, and then everybody screams bloody murder. So, yeah, 
I guess, talk, lines and veils, and treat this as another part of that conversation there. Right. So where does the dice roll lie? I, I do really like the, the concept there, and, and I don't know if it's exactly what you meant or how it worked, but the way you set up that scenario, like in my head, I imagine that they were supposed to pick one side or the other and then work against the one they didn't. And then once that was resolved, like the next thing, like, okay, part two is this other, you know, threat that was there the whole time. It was buried, literally in this case, uh, and it would eventually awaken. And that would be like chapter two or part two or whatever. Yeah. But when they decided to become peacekeepers, again, my thought there would be, okay, well, we will move that up as you did. But I probably would make it a lot tougher like, again, I don't know how challenges work in your game, but let's say it was a level two. Yeah. I might make it a level four because they have more resources because since they didn't kill each other, they have, you know, and I think it would almost make it seem like if you had had not worked together, this would now be an insurmountable uh, obstacle. So even though that wasn't the way it was planned, that's what would happen. So it would reward them for the way they decided to approach it, even though it wasn't what I expected and almost make it seem like that was part of the plan all along. Because if you had killed half the people in this town, there's no way you would have won this encounter because there, you know, you need 20 people. You need to divide them into four groups of five to stop from being overrun. Thankfully, you know, that kind of thing is, I, I think it's, that's an interesting way that you couldn't, you couldn't have done that otherwise. Uh, I just, hang on, I'm just thinking out loud. Chris OC, do you have any thoughts on the situation here? Uh, boy, if I had, you know, a dollar every time I've planned something and the players went the opposite <laughs> way, I'd, you have at least a dollar fifty. Yeah, um, it's kind of interesting because we were just talking about this Monday uh, with Redemption. There was one time where I had written a bunch of stuff out. The party went the completely opposite direction. I literally took my notepad threw it over my shoulder, pulled out a blank piece of paper, and went, all right, where are we going? An hour later, I had to reach back and grab the notebook because they somehow circled back to where I was originally planning them to be. And that's when I learned, you know, really knowing your group. Like, especially with, like, Redemption, I make what I call story points. These are things that somehow I'm going to work in some place, and then I just wait till it happens, and then I kind of go, okay, check that off. Let's see how this next one ties together. I, I enjoy doing it that way because then I'm not so focused on, wait, you have to go from point A to point B. I don't really care when A and B happen. They're just going to happen. And I think that takes a lot of stress off me as a GM and just kind of lets the story be a lot more organic mm -hmm. in the development. Now I say that I'm going to start running Dragonlance real soon, maybe tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and that is a module, so that's going to be set a lot more point A to point B. But I've already gone through the first, a good chunk of the first chapter, and wrote out kind of my notes and how I can kind of see it playing out. And ideas of, okay, well, if they go this way first, how can I bring it back over here? So I'm already tweaking it to my style, right? which I would say everybody should do. Yeah, I, I, I've talked about that. Like when we do our uh, DMing 101 uh, mm -hmm. seminars, where you and I have done this before, when I talk about the way I would prep a module is I would prep it the same way I would prep a homebrew world. Uh, for me, it's a bunch of note cards um, so that I would be able to mix and match things as if I had created it. And I'm, I'm one that at this point, I, I advocate not over-preparing. I think mm -hmm. over-preparing um, – can cause more problems than it solves. I know as a, if you're a newer DM, I did the same thing when I first started. I was nervous that if they go into this place and they ask who the bartender is, if I don't already know, it's going to ruin the verisimilitude of the world and they're going to know that I don't know anything and it'll mm -hmm. ruin everything. Uh, I've definitely gotten over that. But, you know, not everyone's in the same place in the, in the journey. But I'm a big believer in planning big picture stuff. So mm -hmm. if I'm going to run a campaign before we ever roll dice, I will have thought about that world for hours and hours and hours and hours, similar to as the way Chris squared is talking about so that if they do something unexpected, I, I'm, I might be momentarily at a loss. Like oh, I didn't expect that, but then I can think, okay, well, how is this world going to react? Like I know that I've got this other, you know, thing, this evil that's festering under the ground. Can I move that around? So I think it's good to have those plot points set out and like 
you know, what's going to happen if your if your players don't do anything? Mm-hmm. What happens in the world? I do think those are things that you should know. Um, even if your players are on the rails and they're happy to do it and they're going to go A to B just because they know that's how the game works, they want to work with you, fine. But I do think you should at least know this are the these are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Assume you're playing a hero game, and this is their plan. And if our heroes do not interact with our bad guys at all, this is what eventually is going to happen. You know, this village will get overran by zombies. Eventually, this kingdom will get overran by zombies, and eventually, we'll have a full-on World War Z-style situation. <laughs> so, if they decide to screw around, it's not punishing them, but it's just showing that the world's moving on. And if they decide to do something silly, you can go, "Okay, well, this threat's still growing." As eventually you're it's going to get it's going to put itself in front of you no matter what you do that's kind of a bad example because again that feels railroady i'm just trying to think of, of making up crap now because i'm thinking about zombies because of the last of us <laughs> but the world should be enough in your head that you know what's happening even if your players aren't interacting with it and i think that helps it not only does it make the world feel more alive but to what happened with c squared here it also helps you be a better dungeon master or game master because you can take the elements that you've just planted seeds and then maybe water them and, and cause them to sprout early. I'm mixing so many metaphors. Um, no, no, that makes so C squared. Uh, so how did they move on from there? So once you got to that next step, uh, what happened after that? Well, uh, I built a character that was going to act as a ringer no matter which side they dealt. He was based on Clint Eastwood. Instead of Blondie, we had Beardy. He was a dwarf. He was a <laughs> dwarf true. costume mechanic. Uh, techno wizard, for lack of a better term. Okay. So his job was to wake up the undead mount. So he basically took the... There was a star lovers between the two different factions. And he managed to kidnap both of them. And so they ended up in a graveyard. And he needed, for lack of a better term, the MacGuffin to mm. activate this stuff here. So... The players ended up having to give it to him because I decided to use their feels to our advantage. And then he hopped on a undead blimp and got away. But he ended up at the burial mound. The burial mound had four techno-magical receptors around it, but it required a living sacrifice. They did a really good job, but they killed one of the players, one of the enemies within the square waking up the industrial mount. Mm. So they thought they were done, they were complete, and then suddenly I went, well, suddenly it starts glowing and things, and you'll find out why next week. Nice. Well done. I'm also a big believer in ending on the cliffhangers, if at all possible. Like, uh, you know, just setting them up so that they want to come back. That always leave them wanting wanting more Costanza sort of rule. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I absolutely love that. Oh, absolutely. And for your own an analog for superhero game, hey, we ignored Luther. Why is he president now? Hmm. Yeah, fair. You know, basically he was able to pull all his mechanism because you weren't keeping an eye on him. And suddenly, hey, he took over the world. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> yeah, maybe we should have thought about that. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of, con- I call it consequences. Yeah. Or repercussions to the players. You know, well, you, can, you can do whatever you want, but understand here's the consequences of your actions. And, and I love throwing them in moral dilemmas. Absolutely. Like, you had it already set up. Like, I've done this before where you know, you've got a ritual and they're going about to sacrifice somebody and they're walking the sacrifice up and the players are like, cool, I fireball the sacrifice. Huh. Well, I guess they can't complete the ritual without the sacrifice, so, eh, you win type thing. But you already had it where if they die in the circle, it's complete. So yeah. you thought ahead as to what the players will do, which was good. I don't always do that. I don't know worries, but it felt kind of weird because after setting up this thing and saving the day and stopping a necromatic station, it ended in a bloody ping pong tournament because my players are weird. (laughs) I've played games like that. Absolutely. I'm not complaining. I just saying that's the way it is. Yep. So I think we've kind of moved, you know, kind of danced around a little bit about the idea of, you know, improv as a GM, like I do feel that is one of the most important skills that you can develop as a game master. It's also one of the hardest, I think, to teach. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if you know how to improv through like improv training or you do other types of storytelling games that use improv a lot, there's a lot of crossover. But if you're 
you know, just someone who wants to play D and D or you think of yourself as a storyteller or you just get voluntold to be the DM because everybody wants to play. I have struggled in trying to help people like, here's what you can do other than like taking an improv class. So C squared, do you have any advice for someone who isn't good at improv or maybe doesn't think they're good at improv? Like any steps that you've done or, or any advice you would give to someone who wants to be better at that? I recommend for anybody who wants to become a better improviser, there is a single movie that you need to watch that's the most important movie for this, even if the person nowadays is kind of problematic. I would watch the movie The Usual Suspects. Mm. I think it is one of the greatest scenes because you're watching him, the main character, tell a story. And he's telling this narrative, and it's, it's a crime story. It's not, you know, it's definitely there. And then you realize this entire time he was cribbing from the stuff around him. And he was looking at mugs. He was looking at pictures. He was looking at stuff like that there. Mm-hmm. And by watching the way he was able to pull stuff around from him, you become better as an improviser just by studying the film. Hmm. All right. Interesting. So, OC, uh, I know we've talked about it before, but just anything maybe you thought of recently or just something you want to mention again on any improv suggestions? Uh, I, I always say the biggest thing with improv in role-playing games is it's okay to admit when you don't have an idea and then ask the table and let the players fire ideas out and then get your inspiration from there. It's okay if you don't have an answer right away. Um that, more than once, they'll go, all right, we're going to go to the bar. I'm like, great. I don't want to come mm-hmm. up with another bar. What's it look like? And let the players fire ideas out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I, like, names are the one thing I'm the worst at coming up for NPCs. So I do exactly what you just talked about, Chris. I look around the room and be like, okay, I see this word on this book and this word on that game. I'm going to combine them and here's their name. Yes. Just because that's easy for me to do. But other than that, just there's tons of different improv things you can watch on YouTube now that'll teach it to you. Yeah. Uh, I think the last thing I'd say on that is with improv, a lot of it is just have the confidence and comfort to just do it. I think a big part of it is people doubt themselves and they're worried they're going to be embarrassed, but you're at a table with friends. So yeah. let it out. So there's a, there's a riff on that. Um, I don't know if anybody here watches Family Guy. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I watch it on occasion. I, I find it funny in, in small doses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was an episode where, and I don't remember the exact setup, but basically someone asked Peter his name, and he's trying to, like, yeah. make it up on the spot. He looks around the room, and there's, like, a like a pea, you know, like a vegetable, yeah. and he says, pea. And I think he's there's, like, a, either a tear or he sees this many tear, and he goes, tur. And then a griffin yeah. crashes into the room, and he says, griffin. Yeah. Peter griffin. Um So very self-serving. I'm going to say that if you have the opportunity, play some GM-less games. Because really, most GM-less games aren't GM-less. They just share the GM and responsibilities amongst the whole table. And it's a lighter load because you're not responsible for creating everything. And it's kind of built in that usually you can riff with each other. And like, I'm not sure what to do here. And someone else will give you a suggestion. And basically, GM-less games are training grounds for being a GM. You get to do very small segments of it. You get to see what parts you're good at. You get to practice without as much nervousness. Like if I screw up, I'm ruining a campaign versus if I screw up, it just makes the scene silly. But since we're all just kind of having fun anyways, it doesn't really matter. I'm not, I'm not super familiar with GMless games that are very serious. They, they usually have a tin, tinge of silliness built in. And then, of course, I will mention Action 12 Cinema, a genius game coming to Kickstarter next month. Um, I've been thinking a lot about it. And, like, I'm going to have the opportunity to talk about it on other podcasts. So I'm not going to go over the whole thing here. But I've, I've kind of backwards engineered a GM training program. Because in, in Action 12 Cinema, you get to decide when you roll the dice. You control the everything that's happening but you get to decide when you roll the dice. And if you start to realize, it's kind of like the matrix, like your mind kind of opens up to the possibilities once you realize that that decision of when you roll the dice can drastically impact the way you tell the story. Mm-hmm. You still get to decide what happens, uh, but like very quickly, the, an example I will use, is like say you're in a car chase and 
you get to describe what it looks like. So you could describe yourself jumping into a car, or whipping through traffic, you know, blowing through a, a red light. There's a in the rear view mirror, all the other cars hit each other. We've all seen that in shows before. And then you run the person off the road and you go to open the car door and then I say, okay, I'm going to roll my dice here and see if this is the, you know, did it work out? There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but you could have rolled the dice when you go to get in the car. And a good roll means you got into a really cool fast car and a bad roll is maybe you got into a beat em up pickup truck, or you decide to roll the dice at that first red light. And a, you know, a good roll is you made it through, as we described a poor roll, maybe you get sideswiped, your car's damaged and you're going to have to get into a different car, continue the chase. Maybe you roll the dice when you run them off the road, turns out it wasn't actually them. They had switched cars and they're, you know, up on the interchange and you see them tip their hat. You're still narrating the chase, but you get to decide when the dice are rolled completely changes the way that story will unfold. And that's exactly what you do as a DM. When you have players roll, what you have them roll, what happens based on those rolls, good and bad, it it allows you to navigate the story and explore these little pockets that maybe you hadn't thought of. So again, extra 12 cinema, of course, but just GMing games and GMless games in general, I think are very good breeding grounds for improv training. I will step off my soapbox now. Oh no, and it's if you ever have a doubt and you're not sure where to go, have them roll a die. If it's high, it's good. If it's low, it's bad. Yep. Don't explain why. Oh yeah. Just absolutely. I, I do that as well too. And even just in general, like someone's like, I don't know the rules. We'll just say roll a, you know, roll the die. And if they roll high, it happens. Like I want to jump a pit. I don't know what your jump number is but if you roll high you jump the pit if you roll low, low you didn't i don't need to know whether or not a 14 was right or a 15 was right just you know most of the time good portion of the time they're going to roll high enough that you just say yes and if they, or they roll low enough where you say no it's only the stuff in the middle that you really have to worry about yeah I agree. all right so we will close that here thank you very much c squared for sharing we're going to play our second improv game and that is where have my fingers been we will once again take turns prompting one another and in this case we are going to finger puppet two or more individuals in a particular situation as prompted uh it helps if it has a beginning middle and end but i often try to leave at least one of those out because i think it's funny so c squared you will go first one again once again do you want chris or i to prompt you or do you want to prompt one of us I'll go in blind. I'm feeling brave. All right. So it is important, however, that you have to sing the song because New York Tater will just riot, mm-hmm. flip tables. It's it's, I, it's an ugly situation. True. Um, so the song is, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? But before you sing it, Chris, do you want to prompt him or do you want me to? Uh, I can. I've got an idea. Okay, perfect. You go for it then. Okay. Do you want me to sing the song? Yes, sir. Where have my fingers been? I say, where have my fingers been? To do, to do. Uh, a negotiation with a Medusa. Hello there. I am oh, we, here. Oh, we got to see the fingers, man. Come on. Where have my fingers been? No, nope. nope. you know what I'm saying? We have to see them. Oh, you have to see them. Oh, sorry. Yeah, they're puppets. Oh, right. I did not. I've only watched this thing audibly. This is new to me. <laughs> okay. All right. The left one is the lawyer. The right one is the Medusa. All right. Excellent. Okay. Knock, knock, knock. Yes. Hello there. I am here to represent Flynn, Flan, and Flan. Unfortunately, it looks like you're behind on your payments, and I'm here to give you your notice of Vina for the next 30 days. What do you mean? Well, you accidentally killed the tax collector and therefore has caused an audit to happen within your actual structure. What do you mean? And why are you turning invisible? Shades. Well, Waladi friggin' da. Anyways, and that's where my fingers have been. Yay! Yay. All right. So since OC started that, you, Chris, too, will prompt me. So, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Well, I'm going to treat this. Let's build off the previous one then. Uh, this is the Medusa trying to find a new apartment and going to a new landlord. All right. Hello. Is this the apartment that's for rent? Uh, no pets. You son of a bitch! And that's where my fingers have been. <laughs> <laughs> that way, there's no decorum. Yay! <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, so, originals, Chris? All right. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers are two people on a cruise, not together. But you give each other that eye and you spontaneously start playing a role-playing game in the middle of some other activity that your spouses are part of. All right. I found this for you. Oh, I already have three eyes. Why do I need another? I just thought you would look so good with an eye. Well, I appreciate it. So, uh, you come here often? Uh, no. First time. And you? Well, I come here a lot. Sometimes I like to find a random, good-looking, strong guy to, you know, throw some dice with me. Oh, I know how to throw dice. Really? Oh, yeah. I'm the best at throwing dice. All right, well, come on over here and throw dice with me. Wait, wait. What, what is this? Well, this is where we throw dice. <sighs> I thought this was a weird euphemism. I'm out of here. And that's where my fingers have been. <laughs> that was a, I was a journey. I, yes. I went a lot of places on that one. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to move into cryptozoology. This is a segment of the show where we talk about a monster, usually from D&D, but not always. Uh, we talk about ways we've used this creature in the past if we have. We maybe brainstorm some ways we could use it in the future. Chris Squared, you're the guest tonight. What monster have you brought to the table, sir? Well, I decided to go into classic monster choices. Uh, I wanted to see where this rabbit hole goes with the uh, manticore. Yes. So I have the 5e monster manual. This is page 213, the manticore. It is a large monstrosity, lawful evil. It is a challenge rating three. It is a, it's a mugly son of a gun. Mm. Uh, it has multi-attack. It can bite. It can claw. It has tail spikes where it shoots things out. I think it might even have poison. I don't know if it does or not in this version. Um, the creepiest thing about it is it's sort of human face with a giant gaping mouth. Not a fan of the image. I'm actually a big fan of the creature. I have used it often, which is not always the case for these. But you're the guest tonight. So what is it about the manticore that you love? Do you have a very memorable encounter you've used with it? Or just why did you want to talk about that? Well, uh, I thought it would be a fun rabbit hole to go down. Uh, it's got a long pedigree that dates back a long time. Like... Basically, it was considered a Persian myth back in the day, and uh, they were talking about India. And uh, there's some people who've assumed that the creature was essentially somebody reinterpreting a tiger for a lot of the similar elements there, like the colored red or brown and clawed feet and the multi-jaws. And the idea was that the people from that foreign country de-scorpion stung the thing. There's also been a couple of variations of the Manticore that have had wings in the past. And I think it barely scratches the surface because in a lot of Christian ideology, it's the dark king of beasts, you know, the basically dark counterpart to the lion. Hmm. And so I've always found that kind of a fun setting riff. You could jack it up a little bit and basically treat it as the king of beasts for the other side. Plus, its lawful evil nature means you can theoretically negotiate with it. You just got to make sure you don't have too many loopholes in order to do so. Like if I had to, like I, if you ever gave it a personality, I'd actually draw heavily from of all places, Disney. Like I, I see Shere Khan in a really good manticore. Okay. Mm. That friendly, that thing, that soothing voice. And yeah, I'm smart, but I'm also going to eat you. Yeah. That wicked mouth could probably have a pretty interesting smile before it turns into a, you know, a grimace or a growl. Um, so again, do you, have you have a specific encounter maybe you've built with it uh, you want to talk about? Uh, actually, I got two. Okay. Uh, when I was playing around with this a while back, I was tinkering and t- tweaking. And I actually decided to play them as the relative good guys in the middle of a forest in order to do so, because there was this hag that lived in the area named Granny Wiggums. Yeah, it was a silly campaign. <laughs> and uh, basically, the two manticores acted as the warning, but because it's coming from essentially lawful evil creatures, most of the time the players won't pick up on it, because they're aberrations and monsters. And it was kind of fun watching them go, well, we told you so. And kind of adding that unique element to that in order to get things from there. 
also, uh, when I was playing with the Hodgepocalypse, I, I'll be blunt, I'm a diehard fan of Kenneth Height, and I read through Suppressed Transmissions when he was talking about that, and I thought, okay, what would a CR20 version of a Manticore look like? And so I built one. And I created it as a lawful, neutral, arbitrary of law. So it's possible you, if you end up changing the rules of nature and so forth, you could end up in a transdimensional court that's run by this incredibly high-level manticore. And then you got to run a skill chart. Basically, you got to do Perry Mason to get out of there. So that was fun. Very, and, very interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. So original Chris, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if we've talked about this before. Have you any experience with manticore as either a player or as a game master? Uh, I used them once. I had this idea, and it kind of worked. Uh, they were all basically first-level characters in D&D. They were built to be just commoners in a village. And I really kind of built up the monster that has you know, killed a few people and really described it and led them to believe it was a manticore. And then when they got there, it was actually a, a giant uh, lion that was just jumping out of trees mm-hmm. onto people. So I kind of described it as, you know, it comes from the air with these large wings, and it was really more the mane. And the players were like, oh, that was not that exciting. We were expecting a manticore. I'm like, yeah, but think about this from the villager standpoint. Like this giant lion keeps leaping down. That's going to be their descriptions. And, you know, the idea I had was kind of like you were talking about how myths are built. And that was kind of the idea. And then I wanted them to go out and adventure. So I'm like, well, if all these stories aren't real, you guys can go out and disprove all these theories. You know, mm-hmm. oh, giants really aren't there or goblins don't exist or whatever. Uh, players didn't buy into it as much as I did. Didn't find it nearly as cool as I did. But I thought it was a an, an idea, at least, back then. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was younger. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. Uh, I, I mentioned just before we got started, when Chris told us that's what we were going to talk about, I, I've actually used Manticores quite frequently. Um, I run a lot of one-shots. Um, for the last few years, I've been running that Dragon Spine adventure that I've talked about many, many times. So there's not one in, in that, at least not right now. Uh, but th- basically, the one-shot I had been using prior to that, anytime I would teach people the game or just I needed a one-shot, I, I kind of had one in my back pocket, it featured a Manticore. Because I think it's a great sort of low mid tier monster in, in the five E it's a, it's a challenge rating three. It's got quite a lot of hit points, it's got 68, but its armor class isn't terrible. It's 14. So it's, you know, it's pretty easy to hit. It's got enough meat on its bones that it's going to take three, four, five hits before it goes down. So pretty much two or three rounds, it'll probably be dead if everybody rolls fairly well. Um, it does enough damage that it can be scary for like a second or even a third level party. It's got a lot of versatility. It can fly, it can, you know, double claw you. It can use its tail spikes uh, from a distance. So it allows you to have a, a sort of a, you know, diverse types of attacks. And, you know, it can, can also just fly away. So if it's, you know, you're needed to run away because it's about to kill somebody or maybe it like tries to fly away with someone. And so then you get to chase it down. I just think it adds, it's a lot of value for what it costs you in terms of like when you're building the encounter, it's a single monster that does a lot of different things. So I'm actually a big fan of using it like a uh, second, third level parties, you know, three, four or five encounter or characters. It, it can, it can take enough hits that it's not going to get blown out right away. Does enough damage that it's scary, but it's probably not going to wipe your whole party. So I'm actually a really big fan of using it at those low levels. Trying to think of how we might use it in the future. The first thing that came to my mind would be sort of a, similar to what you were talking about, Chris. It's almost like a switcheroo. But in here, it's a mana core pretending to be a sphinx. Because yes. um, it isn't really a sphinx but there's so, enough similarity that i could see adventurers mistaking it for a sphinx and so the manticore trying to play along is trying to come up with a riddle and then this is a chance to do like bad improv on purpose and have mm-hmm. it trying to improv a riddle that's clearly not a riddle like it's looking around like what is it that looks like four adventurers with a dwarf in the rain you know, just terrible mm-hmm. uh, and then Basically, it ends up to a combat, but you get that sort of humorous, like, what the F is going on here situation. I think that would be fun. Uh, original Chris, any thoughts on how you might use a Manticore in the future? Well, I mean, 
I, I think the monster manual does a good job talking about how, you know, one of their relationships is they, they serve other wicked creatures. So, you know, like for example, the Dragonlance one, um, a little spoiler, uh, there's going to be a war that they're going to be involved in. It'd be kind of neat to throw a couple in there with, uh, one of the armies coming in, you know, the dragon armies, I think it'd be kind of scary to have Manticore's kind of leading the charge in a way, mm-hmm. you know, and they're going to be able as you describe that to, you know, kind of take out some of the frontline, you know, uh, defense for a city or something like that, which would scare everybody else and run, you know, that, that could be neat. You know. They're good scouts because they fly, you know, mm-hmm. they can get in and out of places that, you know, they could, they could fly into a tree and lounge and they, maybe people mistake them for a natural lion and, you know, they're cautious, but they're not scared, not yeah. realizing it can hear and see and understand their words. And then it flies away. I think mm-hmm. that could be an effective use. And I do like the idea of, again, low level, like think of like a, a village, maybe some people are going missing the, the, you know, they're being carried off. And so the adventurers, their first adventure is to track it to its mountain layer and try to hopefully find some, you know, mm-hmm. still alive victim situation. Oh yes. Uh, so C squared, any thoughts on how you might use this creature in the future? Well, I was doing some thinking here and more often than not, usually manticores are presented as male. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other great cat, they are probably- manticores. Yes. Mm. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. here's what I'm thinking. Uh, besides tigers, the other great cat you probably could use as a basis is lions. And I don't know about you, but... A My pride... favorite animal is a liger. Yeah, mm-hmm. precisely. Hey, getting the best of both worlds. Uh, basically, because you have a pack of female manticores that basically act like a pride for hunting food, and of course, their choice is, well, people. Because mm-hmm. man-eater. So suddenly you're not just fighting one, but you're fighting six that are relatively smart and well-organized. Kind of scary when you think about it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I actually, I do really like the taking of that sort of the natural element that, you know, you have a pride of lions and you have multiple females and they are the hunters. Um, And I do like that, you know, sort of the ecology of the world, the players are brought in to try to help in whatever capacity they're from the village, they get called in as adventurers. And maybe this is too many mana cores because I'll be honest, six mana cores, that's going to be a tough fight. So maybe then it's like, well, why did they come here? And then, you know, you find out they were pushed out of their home because of this other creature, which is maybe more dangerous in some respects, but because it's only one of them, it's actually easier for the party to fight. So you could have that situation where they actually go to the mountains and kill the basilisk or the behair or whatever the case Mm -hmm. may be so that the manticores can go back to their um, their home habitat away from the, the, the villagers. So you're using them, but they're not, not a decoy, but they're just like a substance of the world, like almost like an environmental threat they have to avoid until they solve the problem. I really like that concept. Right on. Uh, original Chris, anything else? Yeah. You know, I'm sure I come up with a ton of things. You know, I, I, every time I've ever run into them as a player, they're usually thrown in some dungeon. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of laughed, like, why would a creature that flies be in a dungeon? just seems kind of weird you know unless they're being punished mm-hmm. i don't know i also yeah, like I, oh sorry go ahead no no go ahead and i'm interrupting oh no worries i also you know i kind of like the idea of using them as you know your bad guy's mount mm-hmm. that's know, a good idea throw your your goblin chief on the back of a manticore or your orc chief or whoever throw them on the back of a manticore have them fly around and drop things on the party as well like that could be fun because now they've got to deal with something in the air and how many players plan for that that's when your your rangers finally get to step up yeah that's their moment that's right of course with my luck all of them would you know we're all going to fight with two-handed swords but (laughs) they want that encounter you're dead yeah. Uh, so as always, we'll throw it out to the audience. Uh, if you have any memorable encounters, either as the game master or a player with a manticore, we'd love to hear about it. Please consider tagging this episode as a comment when we release it, Facebook and Twitter, or just on the website itself. We'd love to hear about it. Uh, but with that, we're going to move into the final section. This is our audience Q and a, I don't think we have anyone watching at the time could be mistaken, but it doesn't look like it on my screen, but just in case there's a little bit of a delay. So while we're waiting for any questions to populate, we'll go around one more time and give our socials and we can do some quick plugs. So Chris squared, you mentioned you have a book that you're trying to figure out 
what's going on with it. Um, any place you want to direct people to, or otherwise just give them your socials, whatever you'd like to plug here, sir. Oh, sure. Uh, usually my default, well, Twitter, as long as I'm on it and Mastodon, I managed to sync them up. So it's at D rev RPG for both. Okay. Uh, the website that I basically been using as a blog. And as far as loading, there is www.hodgepocalypse.com. Okay. Good and, see you there. Uh, I like it. Yeah. So basically feel free to poke me about darn well, everything. I'm also using the hashtag TTRPG prompt. Mm-hmm. You'll see all sorts of crazy stuff I've thrown in the last, I'll say a few months. If you want to comment on any, go right ahead. Fantastic. All right. Original Chris. Uh, most people, if you want to talk to me, Twitter, Burlu underscore Chris. Uh, usually I tell everybody, if, if you want something from me, you need to send me a message or tag me in something because I don't post much uh, just because it's just not my thing. Uh, otherwise, you can hear me finishing up Redemption on the podcast. And then in a month or two, we're going to be doing the streaming thing. And then here possibly tomorrow we'll see see how that plays Excellent. out and if not two weeks from now mm-hmm. back here again yep all right as for myself of course you can find me at the rpg academy i'm most active on twitter still uh, i have a lot of nostalgia for twitter i've been on it a long time a lot of the people i know and love i only know them because of twitter so i'm kind of holding on to it with you know until they're going to pry Twitter from my cold dead hands, basically. Um, but I'm also on Mastodon, same RPG Academy on Facebook, all that kind of good stuff. I'm doing the Smallville podcast. So if anybody out there is interested in reliving Smallville, I'm uh, almost done with season five. We're about halfway through. So I've got about probably two more years of this before <laughs> I would wrap that up. But it's been a ton of fun. I'm really enjoying it. And Action 12 Cinema, just cannot say enough. The Kickstarter goes live February 28th. Uh, I think we have a pretty reasonable goal but I actually don't get paid back for what I've already paid into it or make any money until we've hit like the third stretch goal. So it's not just about funding. I would, you know, I'd like to see it do well. I I have some reasonable expectations, but high hopes, I Mm -hmm. think is a good way to go into it. All right. So no questions have come up. So we'll just ask the standard question. We ask all of our guests. So Chris squared, imagine that you are going to be turned into an action figure, not, literally transformed, but they're going to make an action figure based on you. What are the three accessories that are going to come in your package? Okay. An oversized black backpack filled with all sorts of weird stuff. All right. Possibly be accessorized for later merchandising purposes. Uh, Let's think. Uh, I'll say a small fluffy kitty that basically is overly affectionate, kind of a pain in the ass. And, uh, Yes, exactly. And, uh, well, at this point, I will go with the, well, the microphone, the snowball in front of me that has a picture that says blue on the front. Sure. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, thank you for playing our little silly games tonight. You've been a great guest. Happy to have you here. Uh, Best of luck with the book. Whatever you decide to do with it, uh, please let us make sure we'll know we can help tag, you know, social, spread it out and get, you know, help get the word out for you. Uh, but we're going to wrap up here tonight. Thank you, everyone, for watching Now or in the Future. Again, it'll be on YouTube later. It'll go up on audio only as well. Uh, but before before we sign off, we always like to say here, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Yep. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And then we do the awkward wave out while Chris looks for the button. <laughs>